The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to Episode 80 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. 2021 has been a wild year. Now that we're entering the mid-holiday season, if you're listening in real time, I thought it would be good to check in on how you're taking care of you. Have you ever seen the movie Inside Out? If you haven't, here's the synopsis. Everyone in the movie has a control center in their head being run by a set of emotions. Joy is trying to run the show. She's chasing around behind sadness, trying to make sure that sadness doesn't mess everything up. Fear is worried that joy might mess everything up, and anger isn't really very happy because, well, anger. And disgust, you guessed it, disgust is generally disgusted by everything. So now imagine that the command center in your head is the roles you play in life. Think about it for a moment. If you were to name them, how many roles are you juggling? Five? Ten? 30? Even being really super general here, because let's face it, we all play a lot of different roles, and sometimes they change from day to day. And generally, they're all competing for our time and attention. So when I asked you your roles, did you think of things like significant other, parent, child, caretaker of a parent? friend, employee, manager, owner, board member, speaker, author, cancer survivor. That's when we really never stop playing, even years out from treatment. Sometimes that role is really in the background, and sometimes that role just comes really front and center. Getting back to our inside-out analogy, do you have a small command desk with a few different roles? Or do you have a full NASA operations center happening? According to a 2013 Harvard Business Review article, attempting to manage too many roles simultaneously can result in stress, burnout, and reduced life satisfaction. Not to mention, it becomes really, really challenging to keep everybody happy if you're trying to do all the things. Now tell me, did self-care or manager of personal well-being even make your list? I'm guessing maybe not. Although I will say I know a great number of cancer survivors that do prioritize their well-being. So if you said absolutely that role was at the top of my list, big love to you for that. If it wasn't on your list, you're not alone. The challenge is We're stressed out trying to juggle all the things that we're taking care of. And taking the best care of ourselves as we can just sometimes falls along the wayside. You may even be asking, what the heck does the well-being project manager need to be managing? How does that even work? So today, I want to give well-being a little bit of a reframe. Wellness is defined as the state of being in good health especially as an actively pursued goal. Think New Year's resolution. Those are coming up. 
going to the gym, stuff like that, where well-being is defined as the state of being comfortable, healthy, or happy. For our purposes, we're going to identify the components of well-being as physical, financial, social, mental, purpose, and emotional. So you may have seen wellness wheels, different kinds of circular representations, and many different types of categories. So you can adjust these categories as they work best for you. But for our purposes, those are kind of the the big six. So in a lot of ways, the pandemic has caused us to go one of two ways on the physical well-being front, more movement or more video conferencing, leading to a lot less movement. So back in April, I embarked on a new adventure, and I started my master's in public health at GW, George Washington University. And it has been quite an experience so far. And much like other things during the pandemic, it's an online-based curriculum combined with Zoom classes in person each week. And there are small groups, so it's 15, it's usually 15 or 16 people, including the professor. So I don't know about you, but I definitely struggled with all the Zoom quote-unquote connection that has been increasingly common since the start of the pandemic. Early on in 2020, when everything went to an online meeting mode, I learned very quickly that was not great for my well-being. I'm an extrovert, and normally going out in the world for meetings is energizing for me. I love meeting new people and connecting with old friends. Video meetings was neither of those things for me. While so many others were doing two or three times the meeting than they had before because, well, you don't have to drive from place to place. You just click into a new room on your computer. You no longer have to choose where you're going or who you're spending your time with. Now you can do all the things, whether you should or not. So while others were doing more of that, I really retreated. The online meetings were exhausting for me, and I made the decision to be very discerning about what I attended online because it's just not the same. And it definitely serves a purpose and is great for catching up with family and friends in small groups, but networking with 30 people on a screen just didn't work for me. While I really like the flexibility of online classes, the Zoom component has some definite challenges. I was recently doing some research on Zooming. Honestly, I didn't even know that had become a verb. And I found an article from Stanford. They've been conducting research on the psychological effects of video conferencing. And it answered a lot of my questions and the things that I was experiencing with video meetings. So I wonder if you'll feel the same. They found four main issues, and I promise this is looping back to our well-being. The first issue was that excessive amounts of close-up eye contact is really intense. And I hadn't really thought about the differences in how we were actually interacting, but this one made a lot of sense to me. The recommendation was to not use the full screen feature and to sit a bit away from your computer uh, so that it's not so close-up and personal. And I find myself doing that just naturally. The second one is that seeing yourself in real time during video chats is fatiguing. And it's not normal to be looking at yourself as you're presenting or talking at a meeting. People are much more critical of themselves when they're seeing their reflection in real time. 
There's now a hide self view option that can really help to minimize this. But again, that made total sense to me. Now, this third one was really a big one for me. Video chat reduces our usual mobility and it's reducing our physical well-being. As my producer said to me, he's a feet thinker like I am. Again, it makes sense that there's research supporting the idea that when people are moving, they're more cognitively engaged. And I know when I'm stuck, I go outside for a walk and the answers to my challenge occur to me as if by magic. Even more, this is great support for cancer survivors who've undergone chemo. To get and stay moving is good for our cognitive function. I'm definitely a pacer when I'm on a phone call, and that just isn't possible when you're set in front of a screen. One of the suggestions provided within the article was to set an expectation that people can turn off their camera periodically as a ground rule for meetings to give people permission to take, as they put it, a nonverbal rest. I was participating in a half-day meeting recently where there were brief presentations and periods where we were working individually and the presenters about half an hour and a half in turned on a crackling fireplace and the speaker stayed off camera for a bit. Even when she was talking, it was still the fireplace on the screen. It was every bit as effective and it gave her a break from looking at herself, which was really a brilliant idea. In my school courses, we're required to stay on camera. A classmate and I were talking about the challenges of having lunch during one of our classes because our classes tend to be lunchtime-ish. And But it feels weird eating during class. And think about it. If you were in a regular classroom or meeting at lunchtime, it wouldn't really be that weird to eat your lunch. On a video lunch meeting, it's totally weird for all the reasons that I've been talking about. And that brings me to the article's final challenge. The cognitive load is higher in video chats. Face-to-face interaction consists of understood, normal, nonverbal cues. When you're in person, they make sense. You have the full context of what's happening in the interaction because you are physically there to interact. You can see everything that's happening around you and the person you're interacting with. In video chats, you have a screen view with limited sense of the full context of what's going on in the wider area off screen. I was running a meeting last week, and my cats decided to stage a full-on outsider-style rumble in the room, complete with flying at each other and hissing and sneak attacks. It was getting ridiculous. The upside in that situation was that I had the ability to say, hey, sorry, my cats are insane. It's a full moon. And then I was able to remove them from the room without too much hassle. And then everyone else started sharing about their crazy pet moments that day. But if I'm in a class and I start having weird pet stuff while I'm on mute, my motions or gestures just become completely outside of the context of the interactions that are taking place. They make no sense. Hence, the challenges to our cognition of how to process the nonverbal cues that are so, so very important in everyday interpersonal interactions. So if you're still Zooming a lot, you may be experiencing these challenges without even realizing the reasons. 
In an effort to learn more about the challenges of video conferencing in this new crazy world of increased social distancing and size limiting of our meetings and events in person, Stanford created the Zoom Exhaustion and Fatigue Scale. It's a 15-item questionnaire, and the link can be found in the show notes or on the Unspoken Cancer Truths podcast webpage under resources. The survey is looking at things like, how exhausted do you feel after video conferencing? Are you likely to avoid social situations after video conferencing? Things like that. Things I was definitely answering yes to and noticing a distinct hit to my social and mental well-being as a result. Cancer survivors who went through a diagnosis and treatment during the pandemic are experiencing even more isolation than they did before. Support groups can be tricky for us to begin with, and then add the complexity of doing it over video conference, where you see yourself, maybe without hair, or feel like you're under a microscope because what we know about nonverbal cues in many ways is being thrown out the window. And finally, we have a screen between us, which creates a barrier to really getting to know people. So now I digress. We were talking about the components of well-being, many of which are being affected by our current video conferencing tendencies. So physical well-being is basically movement, nutrition, hydration, sleep hygiene, one I need a lot of help with, and things that affect your physical body. It's pretty straightforward, yet challenging to be checking all the boxes with consistency. Next is financial well-being. How are you using your time, talent, and treasure? All three contribute to our financial well-being. If we can't pay our bills, we're not going to be happy and without stress. Next is social well-being. Pre-pandemic, I would have said that text message and video chats were a fabulous tool for staying in touch with people. And they are. But they're no substitute for in-person getting together. I was on a Zoom meeting with a group of folks and that I was in person with a month or so ago. And one of the ladies said, I feel so much more connected to this group than I do to my support group who's been meeting online via Zoom for the past year. The reason was because we had all connected in person, wearing masks, social distancing, but together in person. How would you rate your social well-being today? Next is mental well-being. The isolation of the pandemic is taking a toll Make sure if you're feeling down or even start to notice that your responses to normal situations is not your normal way of responding. Acknowledge the challenge. When we say it out loud, we often find that we're less alone than we think we are. We're all living through the current times and our collective mental well-being is taking a hit. When it comes to mental well-being, we are being a good steward of our compassion for ourselves and in regard to others. One of my favorite components to well-being is purpose well-being. How are we living on purpose? How are we showing up in our life? One of the challenges here is that we can be so jazzed about our purpose that we start to burn really bright in this area, working long hours, studying too much, not getting enough sleep, etc. And that can start to burn us out along with all the other areas of well-being that are being impacted kind of another visual on the idea of burnout. Finally, we have our emotional well-being. And this could also be your spiritual or personal growth area where you're connected to community and to a higher self. 
each of these six sections on its own is significant when you put them together. We need that inner well-being project manager who sees all the components and can check in with each area on a regular basis to make sure that they're getting some attention. The good news is that what we give attention to grows. And with 10 or 20 minutes a day, little by little, you can create a rotating plan to assess and course correct each area as needed. Starting on Monday, December 27th at 1 p.m. each day and ending on New Year's Day, I'm going to go live in my Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning, to go deeper on each of these topics and share some tips and tricks to how in just a few minutes each day you can improve your overall well-being for that one area that we're focused on that day. So come on over to my Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning, and join the group where I'll share some of my favorite tools for recapturing your well-being. I hope to see you there. That's this week's episode. I can't believe we are almost to the end of 2021. Check back in two weeks when I will look back over all the fabulous conversations and topics we covered in 2021 on Unspoken Cancer Truths. And don't forget, come join me in the Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thank you.